As the war in Ukraine worsens, India focuses on bringing its citizens home. How important are evacuations to Indian foreign policy? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sahasini Heather. This is episode 52 as we look at India's evacuation policy for the diaspora as the government tries to complete Operation Ganga, as it's known, its mission to bring home about 20,000 Indian citizens, mostly students, who have managed now to come out of the war zone in Ukraine to four neighboring countries. For most part, some are still stuck in the conflict zone. First, let's just take a look at the task at hand with Operation Ganga, as it's called. As tensions grew between Russia and Ukraine earlier this year, in January, the Indian embassy in Ukraine asked all Indians in the country to register on the website. So it had an estimate of the numbers it needed in case an evacuation was needed. Not everybody did register, but about 20,000 did. Uh, thousands more, as I said, were in different places and didn't think it was necessary to register at the time. The threat of a Russian invasion did not at that point really seem imminent. In comparison, the US uh, that had an estimated 20,000 to 30,000 citizens there had been asking them to leave since early December. Uh, so most, in fact, had actually already made their exit plans or had flown out by that time. China, in comparison, has fewer numbers. An estimated 6,000 students for whom China has also launched a difficult operation uh, to try and take them out from the borders. Now, by the time President uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced military operations in Ukraine, that was on February 24th, the embassy in Ukraine, the Indian embassy, had issued five advisories. Each one was in increasing degrees of alarm, but essentially what they said was those who can leave, those who don't have to stay, uh, should actually try and leave Ukraine. So when Russian troops actually invaded, began to bomb Ukrainian cities, most, if not many, were caught unwares. unawares. And they were left with very few options. And let's just take a look at that map of Ukraine so you can see just what the options were. Ukraine, remember, closed its airport, its airspace, uh, uh, and shut the Kiev airport down on February the 24th. This meant that those fleeing who had got tickets on flights into Kiev now had to head for the western and southern borders with Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and even Moldova right there. With officials unable to enter uh, Ukraine, Indian officials, the government actually set up posts at the border crossings to help them cross over and then organize these flights from Warsaw, from Budapest, Bucharest, uh, into Bratislava as well. Uh, Belarus up there that is supporting the Russian uh, 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 operations actually sealed its borders, sent its own army to the border. Uh, nor was the border with Russia. In fact, uh, you can see that really coming in from the east and uh, the south from Crimea, Russian troops were coming in. So that also wasn't really an option, at least for the first week uh, of those operations. However, Indian officials are now apparently setting up in the Russian city of Belgorod, just across the border from the second largest uh, Ukrainian city of Kharkiv. An Indian student was uh, killed in Russian shelling this week. There's been a lot of bombing on Kharkiv in particular. Uh, now, in case there is an evacuation route set up that allows Indians into Russia through that eastern route through to Belgorod, this is something Prime Minister Modi and President Putin have also discussed. Russia has even offered to fly those Indians back on its own planes. 
uh, they still face sev severe challenges. So let's just take a look at those challenges. As I said, one, Indian officials, the Indian ministers who have gone as well, aren't actually going into the war zone. So students have to largely fend for themselves, pack into trains that are still running, or even go for long journeys by foot to reach the borders. Women are being given preferences on these trains, so a lot of the men are still stuck in eastern Ukraine. Uh, they have, uh, uh, the government has thus far been unable to negotiate a humanitarian window for operation as they did in Yemen and other operations when both sides said they will stop hostilities and bombardment and allow civilians to even be taken out by flights, which would be much quicker. The third is there have been reports, unfortunately, of racist behavior towards them. Uh, although th this has been denied by the Ukrainian foreign ministry that says there is no discrimination uh, there. Uh, we understand there have been events targeting Indians, Pakistanis and Chinese who are trying to leave and even being held back at certain places. Indians in particular have said they have been manhandled by Ukrainian guards, have been abused by others, citing India's United Nations votes where it has refused to condemn Russia's actions. And remember, in episode 51, we took a closer look at what India's vote at the UN so far has been. Uh, then there is just the sheer numbers. The large numbers of Indians in the Ukraine, uh, in the diaspora, is the biggest factor really here. And as I said, many of them had not even registered, so we don't know the final figure. As is the fast closing window. As Russian operations on Ukrainian cities is intensifying, a Russian convoy heading for Kiev, and Ukrainian citizens prepare for a pushback, this could become violent and complicate efforts much, much further. Finally, uh, India, and this is a more long-term one, India has no formal rescue and evacuation policy or manual, which would apply a number of standard operating procedures. SOPs have budgets, uh, uh, emergency budgets, uh, keep certain aircraft on standby. So each of these operations has to be dealt with ad hoc, albeit, of course, every situation is different. So let's just stop here and ask, why are evacuation operations so important? Why does India put so much importance on them, particularly the Ministry of External Affairs. Now, the thing, first biggest reason for this is for any country, each citizen is precious. This is not about the remittances they send or the education they gather. Uh, India's foreign policy has always had a particular place for the welfare of India's expatriate workers, students and others worldwide. Uh, remember, India has nearly 14 million non-resident Indians. This is the official figure in 208 countries, so every country and jurisdiction around the world. Also about 18 million PIOs who are foreign citizens, and then there are tourists and travelers uh, in various parts. But this means that there is no conflict in the world that doesn't somehow affect an Indian somewhere. Uh, the third reason is that evacuation operations are an important test of India's ties and strength of diplomacy around the world. Uh, India's promise over the decades to bring home every Indian safely is really a key part of its soft power. It's something other countries look at uh, with some amount of admiration as well. And there's another reason often not looked at so closely, and that is that while the Indian diaspora is in danger, it is virtually impossible to focus on the actual foreign policy issue at hand. In all the United Nations votes thus far, India has abstained, as I said, partly because the government doesn't want to be seen criticizing Russia or antagonizing Ukraine in a large part, because the focus remains on the safety of Indian civilians, and one uh, or maybe more have unfortunately died already.
in most of these operations, India has given, uh, a, you know, ride or transport to other nationals as well, especially those from the subcontinent, Nepal, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, even Pakistan. I have been on evacuation operations where even Americans and other nationals have been taken. And this has no doubt helped India's image as well as its influence in the world. So it's a critical part of India's foreign policy. Now, in the past 30 years, three decades, India has launched more than 30 such evacuation operations, pulling Indians out of war and humanitarian disasters in Asia, in Africa and Europe. Uh, let's just take a look at some of the uh, other famous wartime evacuations India undertook. Uh, and you'll recognize many of these. The first, uh, of course, is the largest civilian air airlift in the world was the Indian operation to fly out more than 175,000 citizens from the Gulf after Iraq had invaded Kuwait in 1990. This is, of course, now the subject of books and a movie. We will just tell you about that. But then in 2006, another famous one, an Indian fleet led by warship INS Mumbai was actually on an, uh, was a part of exercises and was diverted, went right into the Beirut harbor uh, and in two sorties evacuated about 2,500 Indians and other nationals to Cyprus, to Larnaca, from where they were flown back to India. This was called Operation Sukun. In 2011, uh, there were a number of Air India flights and another Indian naval fleet, which was led by INS Jalashwa. There was also the destroyer INS Mysore there. They went into Tripoli in Libya uh, with then Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi, who was after that deposed and then killed. His permission was sought for this days before the NATO bombings began. Fighting had already broken out between militia on the ground. So this was a dangerous operation. They brought out more than 15,000 Indians in what was called Operation Safe Homecoming. And you can read about these operations in two separate notebooks uh, that I've written on the Hindu website. And here are those links. Then in 2015, Operation Rahat uh, saw a very dangerous rescue operation from the war in Yemen. Uh, then the Minister of State and former Army Chief General V.K. Singh, who is now in fact in Poland overseeing some of the operations there, uh, he headed that mission that went from Djibouti, just on the Horn of Africa. 5,600 people were brought out in all, uh, and uh, some by ships from Djibouti. They braved the naval officers, braved Houthi rebels, they braved armed robbers. Others were flown out of Sana'a, as I said, in a specially negotiated humanitarian window for those flights. In fact, by coincidence, General V.K. Singh also oversaw Operation Sankat Mochan, uh, which was a one-day operation to bring back about 156 Indians aboard two C-17s that came from Juba, from South Sudan, during a ceasefire in the fighting there. Uh, now, the high cost of that particular military operation, when, in fact, commercial flights were running out of Juba, led to some criticism within the MEA that said, hold your resources for when it's really needed. Uh, and in fact, they committed then to fund uh, and prefer funding evacuations by commercial airliners, even if they paid for all the tickets, uh, and press military aircraft only when necessary, when you have to do a rapid number of evacuations as an addition, uh, as it has now for the Ukraine uh, crisis where we've seen C-17s go in and out. After the Taliban takeover, the Indian embassy in Kabul and about 400 uh, Indians, including some minority members from Afghanistan, were flown out of Kabul uh, using that very circuitous route through Iran, avoiding uh, danger while the fighting was still going on, what was called Operation 
Devi Shakti. Clearly, these diaspora evacuations that are happening in the Ukraine aren't happening for the first time, nor will they be the last. And a proper evacuation manual, special training for Indian diplomats is always uh, uh, in order, as well as, as, as I said, a proper evacuation policy. So let's just take a look at some of the reading that might help you think through some of these things uh, and understanding the diaspora in particular and previous evacuations. A good description of the diplomacy that was required uh, for the Iraq evacuation in particular is in former Prime Minister and then Foreign Minister Inder Gujral's autobiography. It was called Matters of Discretion and it, it is a very interesting account. Of course, there is the movie Airlift uh, that many of you might have already seen. But then there's a stunning account of the operations carried out by Ambassador K.P. Fabian in an essay he wrote for the Indian Foreign Affairs Journal. It's called Biggest Air Ever Air Evacuation in History. Uh, it's certainly worth a read. There's another paper by Carnegie India, Constantina Xavier in particular, looked at India's expatriate evacuation operations. I referred to that, in fact, a short while ago. It's called Bringing the Diaspora Home and it includes, in fact, some important suggestions on how to formulate a policy uh, for the government. There's also an interesting account of the reverse uh, when Indian diaspora actually helped citizens in the COVID-19 aftermath. Uh, remember along, as I said, there are about 18 million members who are non-resident, uh, who are not non-resident, they are foreign citizens, but persons of Indian origins who helped the non-resident Indians out when India shut down all its airports and stopped all citizens from returning home for months in 2020. It's called Diaspora to the Rescue. It's a brand new book. Uh, the role of civil society groups in helping Indians stranded by the COVID-19 pandemic. This is by Pradeep Taneja and Sujit Dhanji. Uh, on the Indian diaspora in general, if you're interested in where all they are and where all the hotspots are, uh, there is the Encyclopedia of the Indian Diaspora 2007. It came out by Bridge Lal. And then there is a series of books on the diaspora that I would absolutely recommend by author Devesh Kapoor, who writes quite prolifically on diaspora issues. He's really an expert, uh, most notably two books, Diaspora, Development and Democracy, The Domestic Impact of International Migration from India. In, uh, this is a book he wrote in 2010. Uh, and then a more recent one called The Other 1%, Indians in America in 2017. Of course, that is a whole separate chapter, which we will look at at some point here on Worldview, but that's all we have time for on this edition. From the team here, keep joining us and thank you for watching.